0: If you have your Bibles, uh, take them and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. uh, Ephesians chapter 4, and we are working our way through uh, this book. (laughs) We'll do a couple more weeks, about six more weeks, and then stop and look at the book of Jonah for a little bit. But um, remember that as we hit Ephesians chapter 4, everything that comes from chapter 4 verse 1 on is a reminder to us about how we should respond to what God has done for us. So these aren't just sayings that come out of nowhere, instructions for us that that aren't attached to anything. They're strongly attached to the fact that God has worked in us in such a way that he has saved us, that he has brought us from death to life, that he has brought us from darkness to light, and that he has made us his children. And so this is all about how do we respond to what God has done for us? How are we faithful to the God who has been faithful towards us? So as we look at this passage, when Pastor Gerald was reading it, you might have picked up a number of phrases in this uh, uh, section of Scripture that refer to growing up, or that refer to growth, or building up, or until we attain the measure. And so one of the themes that is woven through these verses is the fact of spiritual growth. Um, One of the things that I remember as, uh, as a young teenager, and maybe it lasted a little bit longer than I would like, but it really frustrated me when uh, I'd get in a situation and I'd do something stupid and somebody would say, Paul, I just wish you would grow up. And unfortunately, it was a reflection often of my pride. But it often came, um, it was before I met Kathy, but from a, a lady who was not happy with the way that I was acting. And said, I just wish you would grow up. And it used to just drive me crazy. I think since that point, I've grown up a little bit. And I'm a little bit more mature uh, most of the time. And uh, uh, I'm understanding that there are certain dangers that come to one's life if one doesn't mature and and doesn't learn certain things. And so growing up is important. And I think we would all recognize that growing up is important in a physical world. Uh, um, And I think we need to be more willing to look at physical realities and from that see into spiritual realities. So if you had a, a, a child who after a certain period of time, they weren't growing any longer. You would be concerned about that, and you would probably take them to the doctor to have a look at them. Uh, If if uh, if they weren't growing in, in, in certain ways, you would take them to certain doctors to have a look at them. And we have measures, we have growth charts, we have all of these things that mark our physical growth. We have tests at school that mark our academic growth. Um, We have quizzes at university that mark our comprehension of the material that we're learning. So all along the way, there are measures that measure our growth, both physically, emotionally, uh, academically. In the same way, there is spiritual growth. And what we have to understand, or what Paul is wanting us to know, is that growing up matters to God. And we find riddled, particularly through the New Testament, references to the fact that we need to grow up. References to to stages in life, like spiritual babes, you should long for the pure milk of the word. I wish I could teach you these things, but you haven't grown any. There are the strong in the faith. There are the weak in the faith. There are the young men. There are the adults. Um, There are clearly measures in spiritual growth that we are to be striving for as Christians. In other words, when you become a Christian, it matters that you just don't stay a spiritual infant in Christ, that you grow in your knowledge of God, you grow in your understanding of serving God, you grow in your response to the grace of God in your life. And so spiritual growth matters to God. It matters so much to God that as we looked at last week, among the variety of gifts that God gives to the church, he gives gifts of men to the church whose main responsibility is to teach the word of God. So God realizes that growth is important if we don't, uh, we won't seek it on ourselves, so he gives gifts of men to the church. On top of that, he gives the means of growth, which is the Word of God. And so he gives us this Word by which we we learn, we're shaped, we're formed, so that we can grow. And then he also gives us the measure, the mark of growth. And the mark of growth is Christ-likeness. So we are to keep growing until we become like Christ. I don't know if there's anyone here that has met that goal. I would like to meet you if you have. But I believe that then what what I think God is saying is that that there is always room for growth. There is always room for growth into Christ-likeness. And we grow by submitting to the Word of God, by allowing it to shape us, and in turn we become like Christ. Growing up doesn't happen automatically either. I think just as children, we feed them, we send them to school, we give them vitamins, we do all those sorts of things to encourage their growth. Well, if we didn't do that, their growth would be stunted. In the same way, there are certain things that we need to consider as Christians to help us grow. And the first thing that Paul says is it involves equipping. That God gave men to the church, he gave pastors and teachers to equip the saints. That's all of us. All of us are saints. If you're saved, you're a saint. And so God has given men to equip the saints. That word, uh, uh, the verb for equip means a couple things. One, it means to restore broken bones. Uh, it's a medical term. And so one who equipped was one who fixed broken bones. It's also used in Matthew chapter 4, verse 21, when Jesus is calling the future disciples, uh, he finds them mending their nets. And that's the same verb that's used in the noun form here, and it's a word that means to mend To restore, to repair, to prepare for the next day's work. And so when we think about equipping, if we even just use those two words, we think about equipping as restoring us to spiritual health. Every one of us goes through tough times during the week. We get beat up. We get put down. Some of us do better than others. Some of us come in and we're limping. Some of us come in and we've, made a, we, we've fallen here or we haven't followed God there. And so we need to be equipped. We need to be encouraged. We need to be built up. We need to be mended. We need to be put back together, so to speak. But not only is the church a hospital for those that, that come in bruised by the battle of the week. But it's also a gymnasium in which we gain strength and stamina so that we can go out that week to serve God. So that we can be prepared as we gather together to go out and serve God. So, so God has given those to the church whose job is to equip the saints. And that happens not only on Sundays, it happens in growth groups and in other settings. But we, we, so we're equipped Secondly, he says that we are equipped or that we are to equip the saints for the work of ministry or the work of service. That's how we grow as well. We grow by using the gifts and the abilities that God has given us. You know that that when God gives you something um, uh, to do, that you learn a lot in the doing of that task. That when you take on a new project at work, Um, You generally don't have that whole project under your belt, but you grow as you get involved in that process. There's a learning that takes place. Every job is different if you're a plumber. Every contract is different if you're a business person. And in the same way, as we use our gifts in the body of Christ, we grow. Because we're serving, we're rubbing shoulders with each other. And not only do we grow, but the people that we serve grow. They benefit from our service. They they gain something from, from our ministry to them. And so we are to equip the saints, which is all of us, so that you go out and do the work of ministry or service. In other words, we don't just pay pastors to do the work of the ministry. Their work is the ministry of the Word. Our work is the ministry of service towards one another. And so we grow by, by being equipped. We grow by serving. And the third thing he says is that we, it involves community. It is very hard to grow on your own. Um, you grow by rubbing shoulders with one another. Uh, I, I think those of us who are married, you know this quite well, that you have a partner who is often willing to tell you the things that you need to do that will help you grow. And you also have a partner who will tell you the things that they really love about you that you don't need to change. Um, but, but there's this growth that takes place in a marriage relationship. Because you're together, you're walking together, you're growing together. I've often said that next to, the, uh, next to the, the Spirit of God and the Word of God working in our lives, the greatest means of sanctification in a Christian's life, if you are married, is your spouse. They are the one who sees you at your best and sees you at your worst. They're the one who, 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 who is um, tasked with the responsibility of helping you become more like Christ. And so there's incredible growth that takes place in a marriage relationship. Well, it's the same in the body of Christ. Unless you are part of a body, how do you ever grow? Because we're to use our gifts for the building up of the body. And, and we find that, and we, I won't look at the Scriptures. I think I've given you enough of those. But all that we do in, in, in the work of the ministry is to build up. And it's a tragedy when people take the opposite view and think their job is to break down. Their job is to tear down. Their job is to knock the wind out of people's sails. I don't find that anywhere in Scripture. That what Scripture says and what we should be thinking is every time that we serve, we should say, how can this build up the body? Every time that we speak, how can this build up that certain person? So our goal should be building up, not tearing down. This is the work that we're called to. So it's not automatic. We grow by submitting and listening to the Word of God. We grow by using the gift that God has given us to serve one another. And we grow by being part of a body and working together, getting the rough edges off each one of us. So, growth is not automatic, neither, uh, but growth is also measurable. Um, you know, as I'd say, we have charts uh, in, in our houses, many of us, that, that we've got little lines all the way up our wall, and they're often in the kitchen. And uh, I go in many houses, and I still see those charts there. And they've got dates attached to it, names of the kids, because we're measuring their growth. And I don't know sort of what the goal is. I I think we don't want it going through the roof. But, um, you know, there's progress that we're marking. Well, what is the measure for Christian growth? Christ-likeness. That is the measure to which we are growing. We are to grow up in Christ. We are grow, to grow to the full measure of Christ. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about this. We, we often as hero, heroes, particularly as kids, and when we have those heroes as kids, we try to do everything like the person that we idolize. Um, some people uh, idolize Sidney Crosby, these little kids, and they wear Sidney Crosby jerseys, and they watch every Pittsburgh Penguin game that's possible, and they, they try and skate like Sidney Crosby. They try and shoot like Cisney, Cisney, Sidney Crosby. Um, but they, they try and shape their whole life to be like the hero that they have. Well, again, who is the hero of the Christian? It's Jesus. And so he is the measure of our growth. He is the one that we are being conformed into His likeness. And again, there's many scriptures which talk about that. Um, uh, Colossians 3.10, Put on the new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. 1 John tells us, Beloved, we are not we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared to us, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. There is this, Continual emphasis in us growing up into Christ-likeness. And he says there are, there are no exceptions to this until we all attain. So nobody can say, oh, I've grown enough. Nobody can say, or we can't say to anybody, well, they, it doesn't really matter that they grow. We're in this together, beloved. We're in this, 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 this spiritual maturity thing together. And until we all attain that unity, it starts in the nurseries. And I so love our nursery workers who don't just want to um, look after children. They want to speak truth into our babies even as they go to the nurseries. I love our care teams. that, And Gerald's done a great job in putting together care teams that go out all over the city and all over homes. And even at the very end, their goal is to continue to minister to those dear saints. And everything in between, our goal is to grow up into Christ likeness, to become a little bit more like Christ. And I just will mention these. I, I won't, uh, I, I will say very little about them because I, I think you just need to, to know them. But, but what, how do we know that we're um, making Christ likeness? Well, he gives three things. He says, first, until we attain to the unity of the faith, Christ is our teacher. Christ has taught us many things. In, in Hebrews uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, it says that throughout time God has spoken through His apostles and His prophets, but in these last days He has spoke finally in His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we study the words of Jesus, and that comprises the faith for us. The doctrine of the apostles is bound in the words of Jesus. And so how do we attain unity How do we measure unity? That we are more and more coming into line with what Jesus taught, with the things that he said, with the doctrines that he taught us. The second thing he says there is not only until we attain the unity of the faith, but also of the knowledge of the Son of God. How can we become like Jesus if we don't know the Son of God? So do you study the, the gospels? Do you study the New Testament? Do you study the old prophecies to see what Old Testament prophecies to see what they say about Jesus? About the fact that he is God. And so you wrestle with, well, Jesus was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Um, in Him the fullness of deity dwells. And so you think, okay, I need to I need to understand that what that what that means. And then then we study Christ in his flesh. And we, we realize that the Word became flesh. And, dwelt among us and that he walked and he talked and so we studied the gospels and in there we see how he was kind we see how he was compassionate we see how he dealt with those who opposed him we see how he dealt with suffering and so we become like christ as we come to know him and so we become like christ by knowing what he taught we become like christ by knowing him personally And then he says, until you attain to the full, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The fullness of Christ is is the goal and the measure for all of us. And, uh, you know, one thing that we should do is pick a time of year. Sometimes the best time is a birthday. Sometimes the best time is the new year. But do you have a, a list of things that you've been growing on in the last year? And you look back and you say, yes, I've grown. I become more like Christ. I don't lose my temper as much. I'm more compassionate. I'm more tender-hearted. I'm more humble. Or do you find that you're no different than you were a year ago? Like where's the mark, your spiritual mark of how you're getting more like Christ? And so, the measure of our spiritual growth is Christ likeness. To become more like our Lord and Savior Peter. At the end of his second epistle, he writes these beautiful words. And I I think these are words in themselves which should encourage us in growth. And it's a command. He says, but now grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is something that he speaks to each and every one of us. It's a command. grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's the measure of our growth. The next thing, though, that I see in here is that growth is not without its challenges. I think we all realize that um, physical growth sometimes brings challenges, particularly if you want to get a big, buff body. Well, you've got the challenges of going to the gym all the time and doing the, doing the exercise. If you want to grow your mind, you've got the challenges of going through your bachelor's and then through your master's and then through your doctoral work. If you want to become an electrician, you've got the four-year apprenticeship and you've got the courses that you have to go to. So there's, there's, there's the challenges of growing. Well, what are some of the challenges of growing for the Christian? Listen very carefully to what he says in verse 14. We are to grow up in Christ-likeness, and listen to this, so that, that's the reason we're to grow, so that we may no longer be children. That's, remember, we're to grow from children into men and women who meet the full measure of Christ. So, we're to be no longer children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about. So, we'll stop there for a minute. We have two, two pictures there. One is children. Children are to grow up. Um, we don't want to adopt the Peter Pan syndrome. I always want to be a child. Peter Pan never wanted to grow up, that was his problem. And on top of that, we tossed to and fro. Um, if, if you've ever been way offshore, and I've been offshore a couple times, and you're out in a little boat, and, and all of a sudden it starts bobbing by the winds, and before long, if you haven't taken your gravel or whatever else you take, then you know the effects of being tossed to and fro. It's not fun. And so he, pick, he puts these two things together, and he says that we need to grow up and, and not be children anymore, tossed to and fro by the waves. Now, I say this um, also before we look at that. Every one of us here who is a parent or who is a grandparent, you know the deep concern that you have for your children. Part of your, your teaching and the purpose of your training is to help them move from childhood to adulthood. And you know that there are all kinds of things that come into your child's life that will toss them to and fro. They want this one day. They want that the next day. They like this friend one day. They like that friend the next day. They hear this thing, and, they, they, and then they hear this thing the next day, and they believe that. We, we watch the music that they listen to. We watch the TV shows that they, that they watch. We watch the video games that they watch. Why? Because we know they're influenced. They're tossed to and fro. And so Paul then comes, and he says, and, and listen very carefully to what he says here. He says there's three ways in which we get into trouble. And, and he's, what, he's, what he's saying is that there are, there is are stuff that comes into the church that unsettles the people of God, that gets at those who aren't growing. Immature today or immature believers today are those that are susceptible to the latest new thing in church. Just like your kids are susceptible to fads, loved ones, there are fads in the church. There is dangerous teachings that make its way into the church. It's the most recent wind of doctrine that blows through the church. It might be marketing literature. It might be television preachers. It might be a new video series. It might be new DVDs. It might be the internet. They all say, I've got something new. I've got something fresh. Nobody's ever heard this. You need to believe this. Or what you've been learning is not right. And so there's these waves that come in. There's a new wind every year. There's a hurricane that blows in every country couple years into the church, many are swept off their feet and some are dashed against the rocks because they are not growing up in Christ's likeness. And so he says, one of the first things he says, they are tossed about by every wind of doctrine. I wish I had a, a dollar for every wind of doctrine that at least I'm aware of that has blown through the church and has unsettled the people of God has shaken them to their very core because they haven't gone back to the Word, because they're not rooted in the Word, or because they're like children tossed to and fro by the latest and the greatest and the newest and the most novel. And here are a few, and I know I might upset some of you, but these are some of the ones that I have seen blown through the church in the last little while. The prayer of Jabez. Brian McLaren's books on the new liberalism, Kansas City Prophets of about 20 years ago, Toronto Blessing of about 15 years ago, The Shack, um, End Time Errors, Attacks on the Word of God, Attacks on the doctrines of the, of the penal substitutionary death of Christ, Attacks on the Word of God, how it's not relevant and not important in our life. These are just a few of the, of the literally dozens of fresh doctrines that blow into the church every single year. Timothy even says, the Spirit clearly says in latter times that some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Not everyone is out for your good. We teach that to our children, do we not? It's a terrible thing to have to do, but it's reality. It's the same is true of the church, that we need to be careful that, that we're not unstable. Our goal is to grow up into stability. The second thing that he talks about is by human cunning. It's, it's craftiness, it's sleight of hand, it's trickery. And we all know those terrible stories of somebody who comes along and says to a little child, I've got a new pet, um, why don't you come and see my, my puppy or I've got some candy. And by human cunning, they lure a child into destruction. We know those things happen. Beloved, they happen in the church as well. There are those that by human cunning want to lure us away from Christ-likeness. Lure us away from the Word of God. Paul even says that such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And then in the book of Jude, after he says you need to contend for the faith, he says this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches saying that God's marvelous grace allows them to live immoral lives. I have been in a setting where that happened, where people came into the church and began to say that God's grace gave you license to do whatever you wanted, and it created havoc in the church. Human cunning. Every wind of doctrine. And then the third thing that he says, the third challenge is, he says, is by craftiness in deceitful schemes. I think this refers to both human and, and spiritual scheming. We'll see this a little bit later, where he says that, that um, uh, you need to stand, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God, that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Martin Lloyd-Jones has got a whole book on just the schemes of the devil. Satan masquerade, masquerade, masquerades as an angel of life, scheming to deceive the people of God, to deceive the church. And so there are these schemes that come into the church. And beloved, I want you to know that, that there is a spiritual battle that is taking place for you individually and for us corporately. and and that there are winds of doctrine, there's human coming, there's, there's these schemes that are attempting to toss us to and fro and to get us off of our stability in Christ Jesus. It's the Word of God that will bring stability to our life. It is the Word of God that is the guide to all these schemes, all these things that sweep into the church. It is the Word of God that is our firm foundation. And then finally, As we work our way through this, growing up matters to God, beloved. Growing up doesn't happen automatically. We work at it. Growing up is measurable. It means Christ-likeness. And growing up is not without its challenges. There are those things that will come and try and take advantage of our childishness and our immaturity. Finally, though, growing up can be summed up in a single principle. And I think if you remember anything, remember this, this morning. Growing up can be summed up in a single principle that he states in verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way. That's the answer. Speaking the truth in love. That is the answer to spiritual maturity. That is the way that we avoid every wind of doctrine and human cunning. That is the way that we keep our eyes on the measure which is Christ's likeness And listen to these three things very carefully. Speaking. Speaking is essential to growing up. Some of us want to tend to avoid conflict. And when our kids are little, sometimes we don't want to speak into their misbehavior, and so we say stuff like, well, isn't that cute? Or he's just tired? Or, or any number of things that we, that we bring into the equation so we do not have to speak into their lives. And it it keeps on going that when they become teenagers, we become fearful or threatened that we that that we that we're going to spark a, a, a you know a, a heated discussion or something. And so, rather than speaking into an issue, sometimes we just close our mouths. Or as our children get older, and I'm seeing this more and more as I as I see um, Christians who have kids who are young adults and who are getting married and who are having kids, and they no longer want to speak. Because they want their kids to still come home for Christmas. Because they still want to have a relationship to their grandchildren. And so rather than speaking, they just become silent. And it happens in the church that after a while we just say, I don't want another conflict. I don't just don't want to get into another situation of trouble. So I'm just not going to say anything. No, part of the way in which we grow up is that we speak. But notice what we speak. And that's the second thing. He says, we speak the truth. Not just words. Not just our opinion. Not just something out of our imaginations. We speak the truth. It is this that we speak into people's lives. It is this that we speak into situations. It is this that will protect us and will help us mature together. This is sometimes difficult. Sometimes I don't know what is more difficult. Speaking... Or speaking truth, because sometimes the last thing somebody wants to hear is truth. Sometimes the last thing they want to hear is, you know what, Um, uh, brother, I love you, but have you thought that maybe your actions in this area are, are, are not helpful? Speaking the truth is a very difficult thing to do. It remains, I think, one of the biggest battlefields in our homes and in our churches is speaking the truth. So truth determines the content of our speaking. But then there's a third one, and it's love. Speaking the truth in love. And loved ones, this is like a three-legged stool. It doesn't work to only have two of these legs. So if you kick out speaking... But just to have truth and love, you're going to fall over because nobody's ever going to know the truth, and your love really doesn't mean anything because you're never speaking it. If you kick out truth, all you've got is mushy, gushy, ooey compassion with no teeth to it. You kick out love, and all you have is hard, sort of cold, um, truthful attacks. You need to have all three of those in order to grow and mature. Speaking the truth in love. And I I think in love refers to not only um, the love that Christ and God gives to us for them, it's also in the way that we speak with gentleness, not quarrelsome. Um, uh, uh, You know, as Christ, walk as Christ did, he loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. See, loved ones, the balance between truth and love is one of the most important things to keep in mind when speaking to one another. Do you know that the Ephesians church forgot this? That for all their doctrine, for all their truth speaking, and and Jesus comes to them in Revelation he says, you've been really good at this. You've been really good at speaking truth. You've, You've really dug out those who don't believe what you believe. But then do you know what he says to them? Says you've lost your first love. There's a coldness. There's a harshness. There's a tone about the way that you speak to your brothers and sisters in Christ that expresses no love at all. And so you can't have one. Without the other, And I've observed this in homes. And sometimes in homes you have one parent that's more given to love and another parent that's more given to truth. And it brings conflict because the parent of truth always wants to be setting things straight and making things right and making sure everyone's living by the book. And the other parent thinks they need to compensate for that and so they over love and they overgush and, and then you have this conflict in the home. And what parents need to do if that's the case is they need to come together and they need to match their truth and love in a way that is encouraging and unifying and, and, and helps their children grow up. It's the same in the church. John Stott said this, and we're almost done. Thank God there are those in the contemporary church who are determined at all costs to defend and uphold God's revealed truth. But sometimes they are conspicuously lacking in love. When they smell a heresy, their nose begins to twitch. Their muscles begin to ripple. And the light, in their, the light of the battle enters their eye. I've seen it. I've been like that. You're just ready for a fight because truth is at stake. And he says, they seem to enjoy nothing more than a fight. On the other, though the other they'll make the opposite mistake. They are determined at all costs to maintain and exhibit brotherly love. But in order to do so, are prepared to sacrifice even central truths of revelation. Both of these tendencies are unbalanced and unbiblical. Truth becomes hard if it's not softened by love. Love becomes soft if it's not strengthened by truth. The apostle calls us to uphold both of them together, which should not be difficult for spiritual or spirit-filled believers since the Holy Spirit is himself the spirit of truth and his first fruit is love. Loved ones, we grow up together by speaking the truth in love. Here is God's vision for the family then. It's a vision for our church. It's a response to God's saving grace in our life that will help us live a life that is worthy to Him. That we embrace our new family. That we learn to respond to towards each other in a way that will promote unity. That we then learn about the importance of growing up and realize that as we grow up, the Word has to be front and center. That as we grow up, Christ has to be front and center. That as we grow up together, our goal is to attain a unity Of the body in which Christ is the head and all function as they should. That is what God calls us to, and it's beautiful when it begins to happen. May God do a work in our midst where increasingly we are continuing to grow. As new people come in and accept Christ, they continue to grow, and there's this constant flow upward into Christ's likeness in the body of Christ.